Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I remember my dad plugging in Christmas lights outside the house. Yeah, and it was like, this is the male plug, and this is the female plug. And do you see how the male plug, the female plug accepts the male plug. It goes in there, and that's how sex works. Hey guys, welcome to Attentive Fatherhood. On the Believe Podcast Network, I'm Bradley Hasemeyer, and this is the podcast for all us dads out there just trying our best. Today on the show, I'm talking to Matt Godfrey. Oh, I love this dude. Now, Matt and I go way back to LA, like 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. We were both acting, or I guess I should say both auditioning, and we also had other jobs. His was actually, this is so funny, he had a job where he had to get up super early in the morning and restock uh, like Pepperidge Farms things, like the, the goldfish crackers and stuff like that. That was his job. He had like a route, like a paper route, except it was restocking these things at grocery stores and CVSs and stuff like that. Anyway, so we were both busy. Uh, we worked on a lot of projects that we wrote he wrote, I shot, or vice versa. So we go way back. Uh, but now he's really a pretty big time audiobook narrator. He's coming up on his 150th book, which means you've probably heard his voice without even knowing it. Of course, that sounds like a whole lot of books, but you got to know something about Matt. He loves to read. He said he's read at least a thousand books in his life. And imagine that's like you or me reading three books every single day for a whole year. That's crazy. That's so many books. Now, he and his family moved back to Alabama, where he was originally from. And other than killing the audiobook game, he's also a road biking enthusiast. He's keeping that super early 4 a.m. schedule, posting a selfie from his one hour bike ride. And I just it's too much. It's I, I can't hang with that. Uh, he's been married for 13 years. He's got two kids, both from adoption. We'll get into the details about that. And really, at the end of the episode, he gets really detailed into the foster care system as well as the domestic adoption, both of which are fascinating. So if you're interested in those topics, this especially toward the end of the episode is going to be for you. We have an adopted son. I wish I knew these things before getting into adoption because it's super helpful. As you could tell from the cold open, he talks about when his dad talked to him about sex and how sex works, which the whole story is amazing. One thing I thought was so fascinating was how his father kind of gave him the ability to reframe success, like what that looks like. And of course, how many of us are chasing our dad's applause, right? So I thought that was such an important part of his story. But enough talking, enough talking. You're not here to listen to me. You're here to listen to my guest. So without further ado, Matt Godfrey. Matt, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, man. Thank you. Um, I think I might actually insert applause there, even though this is not being filmed in front of a live studio audience. Please do. Let's get right into it. How would you describe what you do and how you got there? Uh, so I am an audiobook narrator. Um, I do that full time out of like a studio in a building behind my house. Um, I got there from, well, it's a very long story, but I started off doing film and TV in LA. And we, we did stuff there. together. We did some shorts yep. together. You're highly talented. Thank you. We, we did lots of stuff together and that was where I met you. I transitioned into audiobooks, which is a longer story than that. But that's that's <laughs> than not just what that. we're That's here all for. it took. I think I, I just, just transitioned went, into audiobooks. And I did. And when you tell people I do audiobooks, what is their uh, first question back to you? Oh, what books have you read? Uh, and I'm like, 
are you kidding me? Oh, <laughs> you're not going to, I don't know. I've done a lot of them and you're probably not going to hurt of any of them. I don't. I felt this way in LA too, as I think many, you know, roughly 1 million people are actors in LA. And the question was always like, oh, you're an actor. What have you been in? Right? Yeah. It's the and, same thing. And I feel like it's not fair as a creative. That's what you're asked. But if you, if you said like, Hey, you're an engineer, I'm a structural engineer. Oh, what buildings have you built? I don't know. It, this In yeah, Dallas, like, we put up a school. Like, are yeah, you going to yeah. know that? No, it's. Oh. Oh, I yeah. think well, the other thing, the other thing they always ask is, do you read the book first before oh, you narrate it? Which okay. is a legitimate question. Yeah. And the answer is, yeah, of course. You have to read it first. You have to know the story to tell the story. And I've never met, that's a great statement. I've never met a more voracious reader than yourself. You I read, do read a lot. like crazy. So you've actually been able to kind of combine this, this hobby slash passion into a career, which is pretty rad. <laughs> Yeah. So I, in college, I um, studied theater and English and it was like the most useless combination of majors. <laughs> like, what are you wasting all this money and time yes, on? Yes. And I think that I'm probably one of the relatively few people that fully use an English and a theater major. Absolutely. That's such a good point. I mean, I, I got to say that uh, the the Vegas wages on you ever uh, having a full-time oh, job boy. using both of your majors is mm-hmm. pretty low. <laughs> very low, very low. You could have made a lot of money on me. Ah, oh, I wish. That's the thing is when people the are like- betting works? I that's how betting really works. Know. I'm not a bet. I don't <laughs> okay. know. Let's get dad stats out of the way. Uh, tell me about your family. Okay. I am married to my favorite person in the world. We've been married for, uh, come. it'll be 13 years this wow. summer. You got married um, young. I'll tell you the more shocking stat first. Oh, ooh, when shocking. I, when I proposed to my wife, she was 19. Come on. So, so Come on. I, when we got married, I was, I guess I was 22. Baby, just a baby. I mean, would, a, if you met a 22 year old today and they were like, I want to get married, you'd be like, there's no way. That Are you is even out of college. That is what my parents told me. And they got married when they were 21. So I was like, I am older than you. <laughs> I'm literally older than you were. And they were like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, that's a really good point. Um, kids. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Forgot about them. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know how. Uh, I have two of them. Um, I have a boy and a girl. Uh, the girl is five. Her name's Irene. And the little boy is almost eight months. His name is Otis. I was a foster parent before. Um, these two kids. And I consider, I know they are not technically, but I consider the kids that we fostered mm. um, also our, our kids in a big way. And mm. those were two little twin boys. So they were infants when we had them. So I'm not a dad to four, but I'm sort of a dad to four. Definitely a dad to two. Absolutely. I, I Well, I think that really springs right into exactly why I'm doing this podcast. And, and I want to kind of get up you know, from the very top, how would you define fatherhood? The first is obvious, but I think it is simply nurturing a human being so that they can grow up into the type of adult that you want to be in the world. Someone Mm. kind and compassionate and selfless with a healthy self-image and who's self-aware and who's there to do good and live for something other than 
themselves. On a more specific note, like when I think about my own life and how I feel like I've been really blessed to find like a thing that I really love and I'm really into, and it happens to be my job. It doesn't have to be your job, but I love reading and I love telling stories. So I, I want to be able to give my kids a whole bunch of experiences so that they can hopefully find like what that thing is. It doesn't have to be their job. It right, can be a right, hobby right, or right. whatever, but just like their thing, if it's like dance or being a vet, animals or... <laughs> You know, what I, mean? I, I don't know, like whatever. No, I it love it. Matter. I love it. I, I I love this because I would not have considered, especially the second half of that answer. The first half makes sense, and something that first half was pretty lame. Well, no, 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 not lame. I think it's it's not something I would have ever thought of until I had kids, and then I realized my purpose in that, in like you said, like kind of uh, you know helping to nurture those elements, you know, and. Um, and all that. But I love that second answer as well, which is just the power of, you know, offering varied experiences to present them with different offerings and to really see how wide the world is. Yeah. Yeah. Do, totally. do you feel like you had that growing up? Was that something you had and you were like, this was so helpful or you kind of, yeah, yeah? I, I know I really do. We, we traveled a lot. And of course, a, a lot of people can't travel. That right, was, right. that was something that we were lucky to have, but mm. we traveled a lot and I got to, my, we went to New York a lot and saw plays. And I think that that probably um, had a big influence on me. And my parents were also really, really open to me wanting to pursue something that is like statistically really stupid totally. to pursue. And they yeah. were, you know, I'm, I am sure that there was a part of them that was like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. But um, they did not, they never said that to me. They never yeah. should. They never made it sound like it was going to be an easy path. But they were completely supportive and wanted to nurture it, and you know, let me go to school to study acting, and which is stuff that I know a lot of parents wouldn't have done. They would have said, you know, and and I don't think that that's wrong either. I understand wanting your kids to have something stable and supportive, like. Mm. I don't want my kids to be hungry, but at the same time, I do like, if that's what they want to do, like, yeah, then you got to do it. it. But I love that that was such an integral part of who you were to be able to say, Hey, go out and and go and, you know, and go for it. And I think there were so many, I, I know firsthand, like just being in acting class and having conversations with friends who were like, you know, my parents said, I've only got another year and then I've got to come back home and yeah. get a real job or, you know, uh, I mean, musicians, artists, anybody in this whole realm, um, you know, I think is is subject to that. And there's already yeah. the inner monologue of like, I'm, I'm a statistic anomaly if I make it this far even. Yeah, well, and you know, and like when I was in high school, I played in some different band, just local bands. And yeah. Uh, my parents even like were sort of heavily invested in that. Like they, my dad drove around the country, you know, in, in his SUV, like toting our gigantic amps around, <laughs> loading them into these horrible clubs at two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Did you ever feel guilty about that? Like, look what my parents are giving up or was it just kind of like... Yeah, this is what kids do and this is what parents do. Was there ever a sense as a kid, like, I'm kind of special in this way? I did not feel guilty because I got a sense from my parents that they honestly 
enjoyed it. They never did it grudging, begrudgingly. I remember one time we were driving to uh, Kansas City, Missouri to play some show with this band. <laughs> and it's like, a, that's a really long drive. That's a long Alabama. drive. Totally. It must have been on a weekend, but I'm not sure. It may have been during the week. He's like, you know, not going to work, doing this thing. And I, I truly think he was having a great time. And yeah. I look back on it and understand that that is very special. That's not yeah. something that everybody has. But I truly think that I would be that way for mm-hmm. Otis or Irene. I think it would be so fun to for 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 them to like want to hang out with me in oh that way. Gosh. It would be so fun. They both of your kids love you like crazy. We were just over there. They do. They do uh, right now. I hope they do later. <laughs> they haven't gotten to know you well enough yet. So yeah, they right don't now. Know. They and don't they still know literally how. need you for everything. So I guess at yeah, this they, point, yeah. it's smart for them to play the long game. Irene is very smart. She, she who knows? Is. Maybe she is playing the long game. Maybe she she's is. like, I'm I'm ditching this guy as soon as I can. Um, well, that's a good kind of segue into like uh, you know, one question that I like to ask guys is you know, as far as your father is concerned, what is what is one thing that you're going to really take that 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 he showed you or demonstrated or whatever, and then you're going to implement as a father? And what's something you're going to leave behind for whatever reason? Um, okay, so I'll start with the positive. Um, yeah, this was something that he told me not that long ago, actually, probably like four years ago, um, and it came on the heels of leaving L.A. and moving back to Alabama, mm-hmm. which. You know, it's, I was moving back to Alabama and doing a full-time job in entertainment, um, which is what I wanted to do. But still, there still was a sense of failure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had gone to LA to do film acting. Mm-hmm. Or TV acting, or like right, whatever. Right. That that I was going to be on screen, and that was the type of acting that I wanted to do. And I just didn't succeed. Yeah. At that after you know, the better part of a decade. But I also learned that I didn't really want to do that. Like my, mm. uh, I I learned that I I ended up just wanting to go a different direction, and yet it still felt in some way like failure it was like my head was saying like you're not really failing like you're doing you're doing a different thing that you actually enjoy more like it fits your personality better it fits your skill set better like you found like the thing that you really should be doing which is rare but still i was like but i'm leaving and i didn't do Mm. that thing that i said i wanted to do for you know my entire childhood and i was talking to my dad on the phone and, you know, we weren't even really like talking about that, that specifically, that in depth, but I just was aware that my parents had spent um, effort and time and money on, you know, my education and upbringing and had really sort of just gone all in on this. And I was like, not do, I don't know. It just felt like whatever. And my dad, who is in his field very successful, mm-hmm. came from almost no money growing up to building a very successful business. And, and now he does really, really well. And he, and he said, he's like, it is fine for your goal to change. You don't, you're not like locked into some 
goal. Mm. Your definition of success or whatever, it doesn't need to be based on your original goal. It's a success to actually find the goal that you really want to do. Like sometimes you got to, sometimes you got to go through this one goal to realize that that wasn't the right thing. Like it led you to the thing that you wanted to do. So brilliant. I love that. Yeah. And it just really made me just feel a lot better. Him saying that really just sort of gave me a sense of freedom of like, oh yeah, I can like change what I want to do. That is so I huge. Appreciate that. And that is 100% something that I will tell mm. both my kids. And yourself over and over. I mean, I think over and over again. That's yeah. so powerful. That's so powerful. Hey dads, hang on just a second. Time for some real talk. All right. Put your coffee down. Listen up. All right. If you're the kind of guy who uses your shampoo for your hair, your face, and your car, come on. I know who you are, and it's time to take a hard look at your life, all right? You probably are the guy that thinks the word grooming isn't really your cup of tea, all right? Fine. If you're 30 years or older, your skin, hair, and face don't really care what's your cup of tea or not, all right? It's time to start caring. That's where Bird comes in. The team at Bird has made some awesome products, ranging from shampoo to face wash to different types of pomade, all to help you look good and feel good and therefore be good. And I was super excited when they said they wanted to support our podcast. So they are offering all of the listeners, including myself, 15% off by using the code BIRDAF. That's for attempting fatherhood. I'll put the link in the podcast notes just to make it easy. But there you go. It's awesome because that purchase supports our show directly and you get a great deal and you make your life a little bit better. Okay, now back to the show. All right, and what are you going to leave behind? What's something that you're like, uh, not for our family or not for my fathering or whatever? Yeah, we are the most Southern family <laughs> of Southern families. And the big cliche with Southern families is that they don't really talk about anything. Like mm. the important, just stuff that's hard, sex yeah. isn't discussed. That is something that I don't want to do. Mm. My wife and I are already really open with our kids. Mm. And I hope that that, I hope that that leads to a relationship when they're older, where they really will be okay to talk to she and I about whatever big, hard things are going on in their life yeah, or awkward things or stuff that you might be afraid to talk about. I hope that they talk to us about those things because we never make them taboo subjects. Like I hope that they're all just discussed frankly and openly and nothing is swept under the rug. I think that's, I think that's such a great, uh, great thing. I can totally resonate with that as well. Do you feel like there were things that you wish you could have brought up to your parents that you didn't? And then if so, like, where did you go? Was it friends? Was it media? Was it, you know, just like, I'll figure it out. I think it was just like, I'll figure it out. I mean, obviously I talk with my friends about whatever weird, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, whatever they, my parents, they, we did not talk a lot about sex. It yeah. was scary. Yeah. Um, which I Could you even did. imagine that? Like, like what would that conversation even be? Would it be a total shutdown or would it be them just like stumbling through? It would be stumbling through. It would not be a okay. shutdown. Okay. I remember one time my dad, was it you and me that was, we might've been talking about this recently. Probably. Maybe your dad said something very similar. I remember my dad plugging in Christmas lights outside <laughs> the house. Uh-oh, if this is going where I think it is, then this is uncanny. Yeah, and it was like, you know, 
this is the male plug <laughs> and this is the female plug. And do you see how the male plug, the female plug accepts the male yes. plug. It goes in there and that's how sex works. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, what? Like First, lights come on? Yeah, exactly. First what? of all, nothing what? about that is clear. Is there electricity? Do I have two pieces? I only have one when I look down here. Yeah. Am I supposed to have two penises? <laughs> is that peni? That hasn't yeah. been told to me. I, you I, know, I'm missing something, dad. Looking back, I'm like, oh, he was trying to say, you put it in the hole. <laughs> and that's how it worked. Even it, that, it seems like you, in that, in that illustration, you know, you put it in and you leave it there. And, and there's and no, it's, there's, it's not grounded. There's no third prong. Things could get shit could go real a, crazy. That's a great, that's a great point. That also, is an old protocol. Is it that's outside? It's not up to code anymore. That's it not up to code. And it would, does, does it happen outside? Is it supposed to happen in the front yard where we're plugging these things in right now? I mean, I am not against that, but <laughs> I, it seems that that is what he was encouraging. Oh my gosh. That my dad did almost the same thing. It was inside though. It was an inside uh, uh, metaphor. And he just said, you know, this is the male and this is the female and that's that. And I was like, okay. And yeah, then- it's weird. I, maybe it's a, maybe it's like a generational thing. I, I don't know. Maybe there's just more openness now. It's somehow more yeah. societally acceptable, but it seems so. I mean, Irene is already walking around saying penis and vagina and I don't, and it just seems like it would not be, I mean, maybe when I get there. It'll be harder. We're not exactly there yet, although we have You're like years away of, from. Some I don't think of that. we're year. I don't think. What? I don't know if we're years away. We well, have see. Irene's we have how kind, old? She's five. Five. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, like, she's talked about. I don't know. We've kind of like sort of broached the differences in boys and sure, girls and sure. what's private. You know, who can see this? A doctor or yep, yep. what you can't show people or whatever. And you know, she's already walking around going, Otis has a penis. <laughs> Well, it is strangely different, obviously, in body part. Um, did did you do you remember those kinds of conversations? Like, did your parents ever say, like, okay, these are private parts, you have to be private and be careful with who only a doctor can see, like these kinds of things? I don't remember that. No, I do remember the conversation where my dad did try to talk to me about sex. I think is maybe what I again. Would this was his follow up. Okay. This is a different conversation. Yeah, we were sitting in the car. And he brought me out to the car to do it. <laughs> it was like a whole, like, I've wow. got to talk to you about this. Privately, very privately. We're going to go to the car. And, sit, and it was oh. really weird. I like, I, the remember, man, I like the man move there. Like, we're going to the car, bring the chainsaw. We're going to have a talk. Right. So, but he was late in doing this. I already, I had already found out. Yeah. Friends. See, that's what I don't want to happen. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't want my kids to find out from friends because friends are stupid and they yeah. tell you things that are wrong. <laughs> yes. And so, and I remember he opened with this line. He goes, can you tell me some differences between boys and girls? I knew like exactly what he wanted me to say. Yep. I knew where this was going. Yeah. And I was, and I was just, I gave him nothing <laughs> because it was too awkward. It was too weird. I gave him nothing. And I remember being like, girls have long hair. <laughs> And he was like, yes. And they do yes, have long hair. And other things that are different. I just gave him nothing. And the That's conversation so did not go anywhere. And he did not press it. <laughs> and we sort of ended with like, boys and girls are different. And then we like went back inside. 
And then we really never broached the subject again. And like, I figured out what I was supposed to know, but it could have, it could have been, could have been better. Could have, we could have, there are some bumps we probably could have avoided in the road if (laughs) that had gone different. I, I think maybe, I think maybe he, he told your mom, uh, she said, did, yeah, did you have the sex talk with him? Oh yeah. I plugged in some Christmas oh, lights yeah. and she's like, that's not enough. Take him to the car and quiz him. <laughs> Maybe that might've been what happened. Or I, my mom might've been like, Oh, Christmas. That's so graphic. You probably shouldn't have shown him that might've too been much. too much, it's much, too much. Do you have any fears as a dad? I have so many fears. I know. I was going to say you, you do have a, a bend toward the dramatic, a flair for the, for the my dramatic. first fear is honestly not that I will mess up my kids. That's like my second or third fear. But my first fear is that something awful will happen to Mm -hmm. my kids, which should be a thought that I can like generally control. But there are times when I'm going to sleep or I'll like have a bad dream or something about something happening to one of my kids. And oh my gosh, I just like have to like, it is like hard to get control. I can feel like physically ill Yeah, and like not... I, it's hard to stop like thinking like a about panic whatever attack, bad really. thing or whatever. Yeah. I feel that I have truly just the best family that I can have. And it frightens me to think that something could happen. You know Does it I mean? feel like it's so good that the shoes got to drop? Like hundred percent. Kind of, I think about yeah. that all the time. I think yeah. about that with my family. I think about that with my job. I live in constant fear <laughs> of the shoe dropping. Fear that I won't discipline hard enough is mm. one thing that I'll shy away from something hard when I always said that I wouldn't, I have a real tendency to like over explain things. I fear that I'll just like completely just overwhelm my kids by saying all this stuff that they don't need. And then it freaks them out. (laughs) The other day we had a situation at school where I, where my daughter was like, this other kid was really, really mean to her in class. And it was like kind of a big thing. So this other kid said the words to her, I hate you in a wow. really mean way. And I don't, I don't even know if she knows what hate means. Right. Like it's not right. a word that we She say. could just be parroting back something yeah, no. that. But that's what the kid said and it really hurt her. And it upset her like a long period of time where they couldn't console her. Oh, wow. And it was so, it just like hurt my heart so bad. And then, and she was fine. She got home and she was totally fine. But we were talking about it later. I was talking, I was telling her like, I'm so proud of the way that you handled it. You did, Mm. you stood up for yourself. You did exactly the right thing. You did nothing wrong. And I'm trying to like encourage her and say all these things. And then later I was talking to Ellen, my wife, and she was asking what our conversation was like. And she goes, but did you just... Did you explain to her how much we love her? Like, did you just let her know that she's loved? And I was just like, ah, that. That was it? That's that what I needed? What, that was the thing. Like, it was so simple. And, I, wow. and what I was saying, yeah. I was attempting to convey that, but it was right. like too much. It was too, it's yeah. like she's five years old. Like, why am I explaining all this crap <laughs> to her? Like that. And I think that that is going back to that, like, what is fatherhood question. Yeah. I think really that is also the meat of it. It's just mm. like my entire purpose is just to let these kids fully understand how loved they are and how mm. worthy of love they are. I mean, I, I think, you know, all of this was new for me, obviously. I'd never had kids before having kids. Um, 
but I never even considered fatherhood before having kids. I always, my vision of like being a dad was the like, I'm going to like play sports with my son and I'm going to, I'm going to be there to imbue wisdom and, mm-hmm. and be a wise sage in their life. Uh, and it's just so much more complicated than that. Okay. So I, you know, it seems like there's more and more people talking about, um, infertility, miscarriages, yeah. these kind of things that when I was a kid, no one talked about adoption. No one talked about fostering. No one talked about any of this stuff. And now it's yeah, much for more real. readily available. Uh-huh. And I love that. I think that's part of what we were talking about is like moving toward this, this openness seems to only benefit people. Um, but tell me a little bit about you guys and your infertility journey and how you got to fostering and how you got to adopting. Um, yeah. So like you said, I had never, the only things I'd ever heard about foster care were horror stories. Or like if you happen to watch a movie that had like a nightmare foster parent with like, you know, kids like stacked up in their <laughs> closets or something. Oh, um, I really hate that because it does, I don't know, it just paints such a wrong picture. Not that there aren't horrible foster parents, yeah. there are. But so because of that, I never would have considered fostering. It just didn't pop into my head. My wife and I got married very young. We were married for several years before we decided we wanted to start trying having kids. Um, My wife will listen to this and tell me that I got the year wrong. And I'm sure that I will because I'm (laughs) horrible at this, but it was like, it was like five to seven years. She is right though. Sometimes I'll tell stories and she'll be like, that is wrong. And I'm like, that's not wrong. And then I'll think on it a while. And I'm like, oh yeah, Yeah, that that was not the way that it happened. (laughs) And so we had this discussion about whether or not we wanted to try to have biological kids first, or if we wanted to start the adoption process first, because by this point, we had both kind of decided and felt really drawn to adoption for a whole host of reasons. But adoption is extremely cool. Because we were so young, we were like, I think this just makes sense to have biological kids first. Like, You've got time. I, Let's got, go ahead have, and do it this way. We have time. Yeah. We're we're like supposedly in our prime yep. childbearing years. So we should just do that and then we'll adopt afterward. That just did not work. Fast forward years and years and years mm. of fertility doctors and every we did not do IVF, but everything short of IVF. Yeah. Also, I mean, I'm like, you know, giving shots to Ellen and it's like painful and yeah. everything is emotionally charged. And it's just a, a really horrible experience until at some point we were like, okay, well, I guess this is not going to work. If we get pregnant, great. Maybe that'll happen, but we always wanted to adopt anyway. So we're just going to like focus on that. And the pregnancy thing will either happen or not. It's fine. There, There's a whole lot of grief with infertility, mm-hmm. but that grief is not based in like We'll never have kids. It, it's, it was just, I don't know. It was different for us because we wanted to adopt anyway. We didn't have to be convinced into it. It wasn't or, plan B. It wasn't like, well, we have no other options. Why don't we try this thing? Yeah, totally. It was, it, it was almost plan A, really. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of things that were very emotionally hard and required a lot of grieving. But it, it wasn't, adoption wasn't that. We were happy to adopt. So through a friend, we heard that they were foster parents and we were like, really, you guys are so normal. Um, 
And just to make a long story short, we ended up going to classes, which are quite long. Yep. Um, getting certified, finally having kids placed in our home, which happened to be twin boys. And they they were infants. And it was physically one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, parents to twins, I my heart goes out to them. They are incredible. But and you guys, that was, happened overnight. It was an instant like... Yeah, that's kind of the way call. fostering works. You don't know. It could be a matter of hours between the time you hear you're having a child placed in your home and then when they actually are there. And that's literally how it works. Some random person who you've never seen before and will never talk to again <laughs> shows up at your house with children and just leaves them there. This this lady had no, she was like, I, I we asked like, it, what sort of like care do we need to do yeah. to the to the wound site? What is their special feeding thing? Because oh it has gosh. to do with their stomachs. They, they didn't know. They were like, I don't know, call the doctor tomorrow. They'll figure it out. And then she was gone. And we were like, oh, here are these two babies. <laughs> oh, it's like panic inducing. That is no doubt. And all of a sudden it's like, I mean, it's not quiet because you have two babies, but you're just looking at each other thinking, what the hell did we just say yes yeah. to? I got to yeah. think that's what's going on. In the moments before they arrive, I remember it's actually in a sort of weird, twisted way. It's one of my favorite moments of our marriage. We were standing together in our bedroom. Ellen started crying mm. and she just said, I've been so happy. What if we, mm. what if we're about to mess this up? Because it's like the moment you're becoming a parent and for, for whatever reason, that moment was very special to me because I don't know, it just seemed so pure. Like it, 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 it was confirmation as a husband that I'm like, she likes being with me. Like oh, I, I knew that she did so it. That's so cute, man. It's just nice. It did not mess everything <laughs> up. It turned out to be the greatest thing in the world. We oh. nearly died because we were so freaking tired from yeah. taking care of these babies, but it was incredible. And there were so many hard things being foster parents. And, you got courts um, involved. You've got all kinds involved. of so many layers to it that are so outside of just you and child. Totally. Um, there's a relationship with birth parents there, yep. which is, of course, there in adoption as well, but it's different in fostering. Yeah. Because those kids were removed from a home instead of placed into yep. adoption by yep. the birth parents. So that's a different kind of antagonistic relationship. Um, hopefully not antagonistic, but yep. can very easily sure. turn that way. As foster parents, you can really be viewed as the enemy. You know, the enemy. Yeah. And also to be clear, we were never trying to like take somebody's babies away from yeah, them. Like yeah. our goal and the goal of the stated goal of foster care is to reunite families, is yep. to reunification, allow, allow the birth parents to fix and deal with whatever they needed to fix and deal with so that it's safe to have kids in their home again. And that's mm. what our goal always was. However, we were also and we said this expressly from the beginning, we were also open to adopting any child that we fostered if the case moved that way. Mm -hmm. um, so with the twins, it did not move that way. And they went back to live with their dad. Not long after that process, by the way, was extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. It was, um, that was probably, I think that that was probably the single hardest thing I've ever gone through. And Isn't that interesting? Ellen would probably like say the same thing too. The, almost like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows yeah. all came within that yeah, it was really uh, experience. Really, really hard. 
But then a couple months later, we got the call about Irene and she was a newborn. She, we got her from the hospital. She and, was so uh, tiny. Tiny. She's still so tiny. Yeah. Um, she's a very tiny person. Um, so Irene was placed in our home. Again, very similar. Um, some lady at like, it was like 1030 at night or something. Dropped Irene off at our doorstep and then drove away. And we were like, here's this child. Will this child be here forever? Will we adopt them? Will um, there be a wonderful, happy story where they reunite with their birth family and we're friends with the birth family forever Mm -hmm. and we still get to see them? Or will the birth parents try to find our address and kill us in our sleep? Wow. And that is quite the range. (laughs) Well, it turned out a very long year and a half later. Irene's case did move toward adoption and we adopted her. And that was just Mm. an incredible day. I mean, it just felt like, who said this? I cannot remember who said it. It was a celebrity. If we get to keep this child, this is, I'm translating it into our terms. Okay. There could be no more bad days. That was the thing that they Uh, said. Like there uh, could be no more, but even if a day is bad, there could be no more bad days because this thing was able to happen. Yeah. That's really what we felt like after after that adoption because it was scary and emotional leading yeah. up to it and then it finally happened it was just incredible. Otis is also adopted but we adopted him through private adoption. Mm-hmm. So very different process. Mm-hmm. Um his birth mom placed him. She heard about how rad you guys were. Yeah, said, she hey, like she I was think this oh could be my a good gosh, fit. she was calling so many people trying to find <laughs> us. Finally she did. How it really happens is we make like a profile book, which is like a sort of our family's life story with a bunch of pictures. We write about the things that we like and the things that we care about, how we want to raise our kids. The agency that we worked with sent us different profiles for birth moms, anonymous profiles saying this, you know, there's a baby boy for uh, who's being placed and would you be interested in having your profile book shown? Mm-hmm. So if we said yes, then um, the birth mom might get all of these these profile books to look through, and she like picks one, which it's I like is bid day. I cannot fathom that choice. First, of I all, get overwhelmed at Cheesecake Factory. That menu is too big. That menu is way too big. Too big. big. There's too many options. Well. Pick a thing you do well and stick with that. Yeah, but you have to look through a menu of families and then make a decision. And it's not like you can send it back. Tell the chef it's not hot. Bring me another one. This is it. This, well, and I just, the um, like the bravery and the fear, I'm sure, that all those birth moms feel. Yeah. Um, it, I, it is, I just, I can't even understand it. It's incredibly cool and I respect it. Yeah. A great amount. But she's like looking through these books. It also feels weird because I'm like, in a way, like sort of selling myself. Like, like are the pictures pretty? Yeah. And like, do we sound like we're idiots? Did you feel like this was auditioning again? Like, I felt like our, our shots yes. needed to look good. Yes, our resume needed to that. look good. Yes. It feels really weird. It, it's yeah. a part of the process that yeah. um, I guess is a necessary evil, but I, it, it just feels gross. It feels yeah. really weird. You want the but, call back? Like you've been submitted? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do they like me? They passed. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what, what was it? What do we need to change? We've been here for, you know, and some people are there for years. You can be on those profile pages for and we a were. long we were time. There. Yeah, we were there for over a year. That's how we got Otis. His process was just different. It was, yeah. smoother. It was smoother because it was 
chosen from the beginning. He was know, also I mean, kind of abrupt though. Like it was for us when we adopted, it was like, mm-hmm. we're just living our life. You get a phone call. Our birth mom decided to place Otis relatively early in her pregnancy. So we actually had several oh, that's months right. to that's prepare. Right. Yes, however, that's right. Yes. However, she went into labor unexpectedly. We're driving in the car with Irene and Irene is like so pumped about getting a, oh. a little brother and she knows it's coming, you know, and just in the middle of a quiet car, Ellen just screamed, shit. <laughs> and I think Irene was like, huh? And I was like, what is happening? What's what? going on? <laughs> Uh, Ellen got the text on her phone that the birth mom had gone into labor. We had to call grandparents to come and get Irene because yeah. this was right in the middle of COVID. And we were having to drive to a state that was uh, at the time, the epicenter of COVID and the city that was the epicenter of COVID. Wow. That was very scary. And um, we knew we had like a 10 hour drive, maybe a little more than that. Um, we were just like throwing stuff in bags throwing stuff in the car. It, I, I'm sure Irene was just like, what just happened? <laughs> they just like ran away. One, one of the best parts of my life oh, was when Irene met oh. Otis. You like never know how that's going to go. You yeah. don't know if an older sibling is going to be jealous or you don't know. It was like something out of a movie and I have it on video, thankfully. Uh. Irene was just like so excited and just and even to this day eight months later this has not waned one percent no. and i'm not exaggerating no i know I've, I've witnessed it I, and i also saw a great photo the other day of her just absolutely like tr- looks like she's giving him the heimlich maneuver that's how <laughs> tightly she's <laughs> she hugging him is a really happy happy day and in the that's middle cool. of covid you needed a happy day oh so, yeah having something nice. light I guess one of my last questions I think would be like, what encouragement would you give other fathers out there? I would, I would just say that it really at its simplest is truly just about making sure that your kids understand how much you love them. Everything else is secondary. You may want to be able to give your kids all sorts of stuff or experiences like I was talking about earlier. And if all of that fails, in my life, if I end up being unable to do all of these things that I set out really wanting to do, I truly do believe that my kids will be all right if they understand that they're loved by their dad and they're accepted by their dad for who they are and that they're valued. The flip side of that is, I will say this one other thing. I also want my kids to know that they're not the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> they're not perfect people. Oh, oh self-awareness, man. knowing That's, that you're you're not the you know some, the some king truth. of the world walking around. Yep, will probably also do good, but I'll love them anyway, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think that's so good. I love the caveat at the end. That's so, that's so crucial. Uh, the levity to it. Well, Matt, I love you, man. I love your family. And uh, thank you so much for taking some time to chat. Uh, I hope you're done working. You're not going to go back to work, are you? Yeah, I'm going to go back to work. Uh, you're a night owl. It's I'm not. I'm not, not a night owl at all. Oh. No, I want to go to bed real fast. Okay, well, I'll let you. Thanks for taking uh, work time. And hey, thanks man, for attempting fun. fatherhood. I'm trying. You're doing great. Keep it up. Hey, dads, just want to take a quick second to say thank you so much for supporting Attempting Fatherhood. 
This has been such a fun project and I hope it's encouraging you and informing you and and bringing a sense of community to the dadhood, the fatherhood, the dad life. And the only way that really happens is by you guys getting involved. So make sure you're following us on Instagram, Attempting Fatherhood, subscribing to this podcast, and just as important as those things, share this podcast with other dads because that's how you build that community. And don't forget, Use your code BIRDAF and get 15% off any of the products at birdhair.com. That's BIRDAF to get 15% off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.